Good morning, church family. I love being part of a church that a broken string isn't going to stop us from singing grace to God. That's awesome. And uh, so way to keep singing and appreciate our team that works so hard to point us to Jesus. And uh, that is not going to stop us. Thankful for my brother Darren leading us in prayer just now, sharing from his heart. When that, and then earlier, uh, wasn't it fun to have our staff ladies up here sharing with us about uh, Mother's Day? I appreciate them. And they got to introduce themselves, so I'll introduce myself. My name's Derek, and though I am not a mother, um, you know, I certainly am thankful for mother, stepmother, uh, mom-in-law, and the mom of our kids, who uh, all three have been uh, conduits of God's love to me, so thankful for them. And uh, so I pray that all of you ladies that have invested in lives around you, and whether a mom or not, as you invest in lives around you and care for others, pray that you'll be encouraged today. Uh, so we've uh, kind of introduced ourselves, um, and uh, we want you to introduce yourself. And, and one way we try to do that every week is uh, if you have a chance at some point this morning and you have the Church Center app on your smartphone, we would love you at some point this morning to pull that out and just check in. Whether you're joining us uh, Faith Online, whether you're at home joining us, or whether you're here in this room, uh, we'd just love to know you're with us as, so we can care for you well. Uh, so we can know who you are, so we can answer questions, so we can pray for you. Um, we uh, uh, we want to care for you well, so we just love you to check in and let us know you're with us. So that's one way you can do that is on the Church Center app. Click check in, and we'll go from there. All right. Well, um, as we get started this morning, I want to, you know, just think about something. And I'm sure you'll all agree that everyone in our, in our whole wide world just gets along perfectly well with everybody else, don't they? You're laughing. Uh, or, 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 or perhaps we're actually, you know, actually perhaps more accurately, we're, we're reminded all too often in the news and in difficult things around us that, uh, that strife and conflict are all too common. What about your own circles? What about the circles of influence and uh, interaction and relationships that you're in? Does everybody get along? Moms, everyone in your household gets along perfectly, right? And kind of a related question is, are we as a church family connected with an incredible variety of people, including those that might be very different than us? Are you individually and as we are, are we as a church family connected with a variety, a diversity of, of the amazing people around us and that God has made? Today's passage is going to teach us, uh, as we get into God's word in, in a few moments, today's passage is going to teach us how even the most hostile of enemies can come together. Even how the most hostile of enemies can be reconciled to one another, can be made united in the church, in the family of God. Uh, this passage is going to remind us that the cross of Christ is what makes it possible for us to have peace with God, and it's the cross of Christ that reminds us that we can have peace with one another. And so we want to jump into God's word today uh, and consider that, how the cross brings about, is the only way to bring about lasting peace between us sinners and a holy and perfect God, and that God's work in our life is, is so there's that vertical peace that we have through the cross, through what Jesus has done, and then his work in our lives makes that horizontal peace with others possible. Grab your Bibles, open to Ephesians chapter 2 if you would. Um, 
love you to bring your Bibles with you. I know you hear me say this all the time. Bring your Bible with you if you can. Have it on your lap or, or pull out your smart device and open your Bible app. I want you to follow along in God's Word. I want you to see that what we study together um, is from the, our Bibles, from God's Word. So this morning, as you turn to Ephesians 2, uh, we are resuming our, our study through the book in the Bible called Ephesians, and our series is called Walk Worthy. And we started this earlier the, this year, and we've been working our way through Ephesians chapters 1 and 2. This morning, we're going to complete chapter 2. We've taken some breaks from this series through Ephesians along the way, so we're picking it up there this morning. Ephesians is a letter written by a church leader to the Christians, to a church family in a town called Ephesus, thus the Christian Ephesians, the Ephesian Christians, I should say. And so that's this letter from Paul to the Ephesians. So before we get into the passage that I want to get to today, it probably would be helpful and actually very helpful for this passage if we just jump back a little bit and remind ourselves where this letter has, has, has brought us and what has been emphasized in this letter. So in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, we talked about these incredible spiritual blessings that are true for us in Christ. For those of us that are followers of Jesus, uh, chapter 1, one of the things that happened in chapter 1 was highlighting these incredible spiritual blessings that are realities for us, that we've been chosen by God that we've been adopted into his family, uh, that we've been bought out of our sin, slavery to sin and doomed to death, that we've been ransomed, that we've been redeemed out of that by Christ, rescued from sin and death, uh, made right with God as we follow Jesus, and then um, and sealed by the Holy Spirit. God, God showing us that, he, that we are his by giving us his spirit. And then if you're looking at Ephesians 2, starting at verse 1, I'll, I'll just briefly skim through a couple of verses here that remind us of the incredible gospel good news that this, that this letter brings to us and that, and that we want to think back on right now, that we want to be the foundation of our time today in, this, in, this, in, in the following messages, following passages. So Ephesians 2, verse 1, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins that you once walked in. Skip down to the end of verse 3. And, and that, that deadness, that sin nature of yours, caused us to carry out the desires of the body and the mind. End of verse 3. And we were therefore by nature deserving of children of wrath, deserving of God's wrath, of punishment against sin. Verse 4. Glorious words, but God... And we've been talking about that before, and then in the last few weeks, we've been talking in, in the Psalms about these pivot words, right? That we look as we read our Bibles for these pivot words. There is a stark reality in verses 1 through 3 of our deadness apart from Christ, of our spiritual doom. But God, that pivot there, God's action, verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Not by your own efforts, not by trying hard, not by checklist religion. By God's grace, a gift of God's grace, you have been saved. The gospel is the spectacular news that God rescues sinners like you and I 
through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It is because of the cross, because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, that you and I can be made right with God. That is gospel good news. And so that's where we've been in Ephesians. And so today's passage starts in verse 11, chapter 2, verse 11. And these are the verses that we're going to study this morning together. And so we needed to review that because verse 11 starts with, therefore. And of course, we need to ask what the therefore is there for. And so that's why we just thought about chapter 1, all those spiritual blessings that are true for us as followers of Jesus. And that gospel good news that we are saved through Christ, through faith in Christ alone. Therefore, because of those things, verse 11, remember that at one time, you Gentiles, you non-Jews, you were, that you, those of you that were not part of God's family, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. The uncircumcision referring to non-Jews, the circumcision referring to Jews. You Gentiles... And this is, of course, language referring to a ceremony in Jewish tradition, in Old Testament tradition, a ceremony that which Jewish boys were circumcised, and this was a sign, and this was, to, this was to mark them, to set them apart, to remind God's people uh, that, that God had promised his people, that God had promised to Abraham and his descendants that they would receive God's blessing. And so they were set apart to be God's people. And so then we continue, verse 11, referring to, the, to you non-Jews, you Gentiles, verse 12, continuing, says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. In other words, there was, apart from Christ, apart from being part of God's people, Gentiles, non-Jews, uh, had no share in this promised rescuer. God's people were looking forward for for years and years and years to this promised rescuer, the Messiah, who would come and set God's people free. And and Paul is reminding us that apart from Christ, apart from being part of God's people, we have no share in those promises. And then verse 12 continues and says, alienated, you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. In other words, you were excluded from citizenship among God's people. There is no rights or privileges of knowing God and his promises. That verse continues, and and you were strangers to the covenant of promise. We were not part of God's promise to Abraham's descendants to enjoy God's blessings of being part of God's kingdom. And that passage continues, having no hope and being without God in the world. We all face death. And apart from Christ, we have no hope for eternity and are without God in this world. Verse 13. But now, pivot word, stark reality in the preceding verses of the fact that, that being a non-Jew, not being part of God's people, we would be, we would be doomed and not, not ble- being part of these blessings and these promises of God. But verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Amen? Amen. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both, who's he referring to? Both Jews and non-Jews, who has made us both one. He has brought us together. He has brought unity. 
and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility between God's people and other nations. By abolishing the, verse 15, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man, one new humanity, the church of God, where there had been discord and, and lack of reconciliation and hostility. Verse 15 says he creates for himself a new man in place of the two, so making peace, and so that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father." Ephesians, especially we think of chapters 1, 2, and 3, are rich in theological, uh, meaty, good news. And so we're taking our time through chapters 1, 2, and 3, and we're thinking about what God has done for us and what is true for us that are followers of Jesus. And then as we continue this series, we'll get into chapters 3 and 4 and 5 and 6, and, and as the letter continues... We ask, what does all this good, mean, good news mean to my life? God, what have you done for me? And so therefore, how do I live? How do I walk worthy of that calling? That's why our series is titled Walk Worthy. So, so we're spending time in, in chapters 1, 2, 3 to think about the amazing realities, the spectacular blessings, the amazing good news of what God has done for us through Christ. So as we think about those verses we just read, verses 16 to 18 remind us of what we talked about earlier in, verse, in, in chapter 2, that, that Christ is our rescuer, that Christ through the cross is our way to reconciliation with God, to being put back in relationship with God, to being forgiven of sins, to being saved. So the 16 to 18 really remind us that, that it's Christ who has reconciled us both, both Jews and non-Jews, to God. He's reconciled us. He's put us back in relationship to God in one body. And who's the one body? Us, the church, all followers of Jesus, Christians everywhere. We have been reconciled um, into one body through the cross, verse 16 says, thereby killing hostility. Prior to being rescued by Jesus, we were God's enemies, and we are put back in relationship with God. And where there was enmity and hostility between peoples, between nations, between God's people and others, between Jews and Gentiles, where we still see hostility between people in our world today, God reconciling us through Jesus, through the cross, to himself, to one another, brings unity, brings peace, where we would have previously not thought it possible. Verse 17, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both, we all, all nations, God's people, the other hostile nations, through him we both, Jews, non-Jews, we have access to God through Christ. And then before those verses, look up and back to verses 13 to 15, not only does these, these verses give us the amazing truth that we can be made right with God, that we can find peace with God, that all peoples through Christ can find peace with God, but as we look back to 13 and 15, we see that Christians from every nation are reconciled to one another. 
Christians who would be enemies for other reasons, Christians whose nationality would make them enemies, at least according to human ways, right? If we act according to our human fleshly desires and inclinations and, and we, we have trouble with people that are different than us, then Christians could be um, caused friction by all these means, by being from different nations, by being from different races, by being from different ethnic backgrounds. So those that would previously have reason, seemingly human reason, to be divided and hostile to one another are united in Christ. Having become followers of Jesus, those distinctions no longer matter, and we are united to one another. Did you catch that? Having come to follow Jesus, those other distinctions that we tend to set apart in our human minds no longer matter. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one. And he has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So don't miss this, church family. Summing this up a little bit. With the death of Christ, with the death of Christ, non-Jews, which is who? Pretty much all of us that we're not born by heritage into God's family, that we're not the God's people Israel in the Old Testament. We, you know, there, was this, there, was this, there were these blessings that were promised to God's people. But because of Christ, because of the death of Christ, non-Jews, that's you and me, are no longer excluded. This good news is not just for Old Testament God's people Israel. This good news is for all who come to know and follow Jesus Christ. With the death of Christ, non-Jews are no longer excluded, which means that all can be saved. Every distinction, every background, every race, every nationality, every ethnicity, every look that's different than you, every skin color, everything that makes you uncomfortable about other human beings around you, all can be saved because of Jesus. Because Jesus was the only perfect sacrifice. Because he lived the life that you and I cannot live without sin. He died the death that we deserve. He paid his death on the cross, paid the punishment for, that we deserve for our sin, and brought us into relationship with a holy and perfect God. We sinners in relationship with a holy and perfect God. Because he was the perfect sacrifice. Because he died, because he lived the life that we can't. He died the death we deserve. And he was raised again to new life. And the fact that Jesus is alive says that you and I can be alive too. Alive now? Rich, meaningful, full, abundant life now on this side of eternity? Did I say perfect life? No. Did I say life without difficulty? No. But rich, full, and meaningful life now? Walking through the difficulties with him, and yes, life eternal as well. Life with him in the presence of God, new life. And since we know that everyone can be saved through Christ, because we know that God's free gift of salvation is offered as a gift to all, because we know that all can be saved, then people of every type can be followers of Jesus. Amen? People of every type can become followers of Jesus. That means every nation, every race, every ethnicity, every color, every background, differences. They become our brothers and sisters in Jesus. Yes? The author uh, of a book I was studying this week, as I studied this passage, wrote this. Um, he suggests that we are finding, he, he said this, he wrote something along these lines. 
Uh, Richard Koken suggested that if we find it difficult to be at peace with other people, we need time in prayer to seek strength from Jesus. If we find it difficult to be at peace with others, we need to look to the example of Jesus himself. Was what, is, what did Jesus do? What do we know about Jesus? Jesus so badly wanted you and I in our messed up imperfection and sin, Jesus so badly wanted you and I to be reconciled, put back in relationship, made peace with God, that he did what? That he gave his life. That's how much, that's how much effort God went to through Christ, Jesus willingly going to the cross. Jesus loved us enough that he would reconcile us to God by giving his blood. And so... Because of Christ's work on the cross, because of him and his efforts to show us the importance of reconciling sinners like us with a holy and perfect God, because of Jesus' work on the cross and reconciling us to God, we have that same power. God wants to do that same work in helping us be reconciled to one another. It's a priority, church family. For followers of Jesus, no matter their differences and their backgrounds and how they look and how uncomfortable they are, it's a priority for God's people to be united to one another, to be reconciled, because Christ was the ultimate example of bringing peace. So let's continue in the passage. Ephesians 2, we've done 11 through 18, now we come to a verse 19. Let's continue in passage. Uh, Ephesians 2, verse 19. So then, okay, here's another transition, right? We have clues from God's word. We should look for these pivot words. We should look for things like so then, because what's so then tell us? So, So then should tell us there's something we need to do here, right? There's something that all this glorious good news about what God has done for us the blessings we have in Christ, the salvation that's offered through Jesus, the fact that he's made peace for us with God and that he wants us to make peace with other Christians no matter what they look like, so then seems to indicate there's implications. It's not just enough to know these good things that we just studied, right? The, the, God, writing the Bible through the Apostle Paul, through this church leader Paul in this letter, God wants us to know that there's implications, That it's not enough to just know the facts about what God has done, but it ought to change our life and ought to change the way we live. Moms, when you teach and you explain, are you just filling the air with information or are you hoping it actually is implemented? (laughs) Right? When we teach something, we aren't just hoping, we aren't just wondering if the the words are going to go off into oblivion. We're, We're hoping that they're applied that they're put into action, that they're followed. So verse 19 says, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household, the family of God. You are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone He is the foundation of your life, verse 21, in whom, Jesus, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So there's three implications that I'm going to go through 
I'd say quickly, but I don't know if that's true. There's three implications that we'll go through here. For what we've studied today, what are the implications? What does God want us to know? How do we apply these individually and as a church family? And we're gonna, I'm going to suggest three things. That we welcome all people, that we build our lives on the gospel, and that we are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. So first one, we welcome all. Do you, cons- you just think to yourself, do you consider yourself to be hospitable? Some of you really do. Some of you, it comes natural. And I think others of us, if we're honest, and we're asked the question, are you hospitable? We might go, uh, you know, whether, is it, is it I'm an introvert? Is it I think my house is too messy? Is it, you know, what, whatever it is. But because we have been welcomed into God's family, we welcome all people. The welcomed Welcome. We, where do we see that? Verse 19 says that you are no longer strangers and foreigners, outcasts, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, with other believers, and members of the family of God. So let's ask God uh, to help us reach out and care for those around us. Let's ask God to help us reach out and care for all the people that God brings into our life, even those that are different than us, let's ask God to help us reach out and care. And how do we do that? We're conduits of God's love. As, as we receive God's love, as he pours out his love to us and we experience that in our lives, may it be true of us that our lives would fill up with his love and our, his love would overflow out of us to people around us in our words and actions. And then would it not just stop with loving actions, But would we ask God for help to reach out and care for and not just in actions love people, but eventually ask God to give us opportunities to become proclaimers, verbal word proclaimers of the new life that is available only in God's son Jesus. Because we have been welcomed. We welcome. The welcomed welcome. And so we want to show hospitality that we have enjoyed to others by welcoming all, no matter the differences we have with them. And another thing I think about when I think about this verse 19 in this language of being the household of God, we ought to think here for a minute, we ought to let it say something to us about being part of the family of God, that people of all kinds of backgrounds and types united in Christ and brought together into a church family, this church family local, but the church universal, all, all believers everywhere. Another implication of when we see this language of, of the family of God, I want, us to, I want to think about this, that as a local church, faith church here in Dallas, Oregon, are, are there ways in which we're an organization where, where we need to come up with um, uh, procedures and, and, and ways we go about things and things that we do and some kind of structure and some leaders? And is there a way in which we're an organization? Yeah, in order to function well. Are there times each year as a church family where we do business where we come together and we do need to take care of important things like finances and details and those kind of things. So are there ways in which we would maybe say that we do business? Yes. But I want to caution us 
that an organization or a business is not the primary way to consider what God has made us to be. Verse 19 says that we've been united into what? The household, the family of God. And so therefore, this commentator I was studying this week says, we must behave like a family. Now, I know even families need some help with these, but what I'm about to read. But, we, but, before, but way more than being a business or an organization or interacting with each other like the culture would interact with each other, God's call to us is to be a family with, and interact with one another with appreciative respect, with pure affection, and sacrificial kindness towards one another. So that's number one. That was the first implication of, of what our passage, what, what uh, God wants for us here. The second implication for the, uh, this passage is that we build our lives on the gospel. We say over and over that the gospel is the good news that God rescues sinners like you and I through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's to be our foundation. And where do we learn that good news? In God's word that's on your lap, the Bible. We, we, number two implication is that we must build our lives on a foundation that is the gospel good news of Jesus that we find in the pages of scripture. And we see, where, do we, where am I getting that from in this passage? Verse 20, Ephesians 2 verse 20. It says that we are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone of our foundation. Our lives are to be built with Jesus as cornerstone, the gospel good news of what he has done for you and I to make us right with God is, is to be, the, and, and what we learn of his good news from our, our script study of scripture, from individually as followers of Jesus, being in God's word every day, and from as a church family studying it together, that is to be our foundation. Jesus, uh, in his teachings, uh, once told a story where he explained that the person who lives according to his teachings, Jesus said, those that, that listen to my teaching and follow my teaching and live their lives by my teaching, and he compared them to a wise person who builds their life on the stability, on the foundation, and he called it the what? On the rock. Jesus said, those that, that live by my teaching are like a wise man building his house on a stable rock rather than shifting sand. And again, here's a quote, a quote from the commentary I was studying this week. Churches must continue to proclaim the good news of Jesus as the rock, the foundation upon which men and women, young and old, can build their lives with confidence that they are safe from the storm to come. Church family, are you safe in Jesus from the storm to come? Did you notice there's still a storm coming? but your life is built on the rock and you have Jesus in it with you. Amen. And, and this guy up here needs that reminder every day because the storm keeps coming and the only reason I'm standing is because my life is built on the rock that is Jesus Christ. And my prayer is that for you. All other gospels, all other teaching is sinking sand that cannot save anyone. So we build our lives on Jesus. The third implication is 
that we are dwelling, that we are, as followers of Jesus, are dwelling for the Holy Spirit. Where do I get that? Verse 21 says, in whom the whole structure, Jesus, in whom the whole structure being joined together, Jews, non-Jews, God's people, other nations, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Jesus, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. In the Old Testament, uh, the temple, God's temple, God's people built a temple, and the temple was symbolic of God's home, his presence with his people. The significance of the temple in the Old Testament was as a representative that God was with his people. And then, in, in, the, in the Gospel of John, this glorious good news that God tabernacled among us, that God pitched his tent among us, that God took on flesh and became a man and dwelled with us, Jesus the God-man. And so now those of us in Jesus, those of us who have given our lives to Jesus, those of us who recognize that we can't do it on our own, that we can't save ourselves, that it's not about what we do, that it's all about what Jesus has already done on the cross, those of us that are in Christ, receiving the free gift of salvation that God has given us, those that have been transformed, been, been, been converted from death to life, from darkness to light, as followers of Jesus, you, me, have God himself, the Holy Spirit, living within us. God makes his dwelling in us. And therefore, when we are followers of Jesus, we have the Spirit living within us. Therefore, as a church family, when we gather, we are also a temple, a dwelling of the Holy Spirit. So what are the implications of that? That God dwells within us. What do we know about God? God is perfect and holy. He is without sin. God is so fantastically good that when he moves into my heart and life, he's got a lot of work to do. God is so without sin, so fantastically good, when he moves into your life, He's got a remodeling project in mind. And if you want to be the way you are, then don't invite Jesus to come in. Because Jesus is in the, in the business of changing everything, of remodeling us. Individually as followers of Jesus and collectively as a church family, Jesus is in the business of coming in and changing everything according to his good purposes and into his into his holy ideas and, and changing us into the image and becoming more and more like Jesus. I, I, don't, I don't think Faith Church is a status quo church. Do we, I, hope, I hope we don't want Faith Church to be a status quo church. I hope we're not good with same old, same old. I hope we're not okay with checklist religion that if I come every Sunday or if I come three out of four and if I occasionally crack my Bible and if I try to be a good person, maybe God will love me enough. No! God has so much more for you than that, church family. I don't think we're a status quo church. I want Faith Church to be a church that knows that the gospel changes everything. I want us to be, do we want to be who God wants us to be? Do we want to be all about what God is all about? Richard Koken writes this, that Christ wants his churches to be welcoming to strangers, faithful to their gospel foundation, and increasingly holy. 
increasingly. There's a process that, that's, that we are undergoing. There's not status quo. There's not getting into the Christian club and thinking, I'm good. There's becoming a follower of Jesus and submitting our lives to him and learning to obey everything he has commanded to the point where he moves in and remodels the place. Koken writes, Christ wants his churches to be welcoming to strangers, faithful to their gospel foundation, and increasingly holy. He wants churches that provide a little foretaste of the glory of heaven. Did you hear that? He wants churches that provide a little foretaste of the glory of heaven. Is that who we want to be? Wouldn't it be great if that's what our community sees in us? A little glimpse of the glory of heaven? Let's be all about what God is all about. Uh, speaking of, of, of what Faith Church is all about, of wanting to be what God is all about, uh, I do want you to know, and I, and I want you to be invited, and I really want you to consider become, being part of our Life Group Refresh on May 23rd. Um, mark your calendar, May 23rd, 6 p.m., right in this room. It's also uh, eat pie and say hi to each other. Um, and it's, it's, we're calling it Life Group Refresh. Uh, I would love you all to consider yourself invited. We, want, we certainly want all of you that are part of a life group already to come, all of you, not just the leaders, not just a few, but we would love for all of you that are in a life group to come. We would love all of you that are interested in, hmm, what's this life group thing all about? Maybe I should be part of one. We would love you to come. But really, I wanted to say this, that yes, we're calling it life group refresh because yes, the focus is on what life groups can be, and how we want to ask God to use our life groups in our spiritual growth and in the, life, in the growth of our, in, in our community coming to know Jesus. So we want to talk with each other about what life groups can be and how God is already using our life groups and how we might want to consider what he has more for us. Um, but I want to say this. Life groups are an extension of the ministry of Faith Church. Youth ministry is an extension of the ministry of Faith Church. Everything that we do ought to be an extension of, of the overall ministry, right? And so, I, yes, this is Life Group Refresh, but I want to invite all of us to come because you know what that night's about? It's about asking God to show us what he's all about and how we can be all about what he's all about. So whether you're not sure about Life Groups or you're already in one, I would love you to come because uh, we want to talk more broadly about what Faith Church is all about, what God is calling us to do um, and how we can help each other grow spiritually, how we can enjoy Christian family, and how we can not stay status quo, but live out the gospel in the lives of non-believing people around us who desperately need life in Jesus. That's what we want to be about. Father in heaven, thank you for a chance to study your word together. Um, Father, you are a good and loving God who cares for us in so many ways. We do thank you for the mothers in our lives, the, the ladies in our lives, whether, whether moms or not moms. We thank you for them and their care for, your care for us through them. We pray that they would be encouraged and loved today. God, we thank you that you are a God who has come near to us, who made his dwelling among us, who took on flesh. And not only that, who came near to us in, in living within us by your Holy Spirit. 
And so, God, as you come into our lives and remodel the place, as you come into our lives and want to make us into a new person from the inside out, give us new heart and new mind and new desires, God, I pray that we would cooperate with that. I pray that we would do our part. Yes, it's not what we do. We know that our salvation, we know that our sanctification, being made like Jesus, is all your work in our lives. And yet, God, I pray that we would cooperate, that we would lean into you, that we would put ourselves in places, doing things in our lives, being with people, uh, being in your word, doing things that give us an opportunity to see you more and more so that we can love you more and more, so that you can change us more and more. So God, we are thankful that that we have been welcomed into your family. Would you make us a welcoming people to everyone around us, to every type of person? God, we thank you that you have given us your word, the Bible, the good news of Jesus. Would you help it to be a foundation of our life, the foundation? Would Jesus be the foundation of our life? Would our study of the scriptures help us to build our lives on Jesus? And God, having given us us the spirit to live within us, God, I pray that we would cooperate and lean into the Spirit's work in our life, that remodeling effort that he wants to do. Would we live lives that are increasingly holy, at peace with God and at peace with others? We desperately need you to make these things true of us. So help us come to you daily. Help us come to put ourselves at your feet, recognizing how much we need you. God, thank you for loving us through Christ. Thank you that your love is is no more powerfully evident than through the cross, where while we were yet sinners, while we were stuck in sin, Christ would die so that we might live. We thank you, God, and we want to worship you now as we give our gifts, as we lift our voice in song, as we say our prayers, as we love one another as a family. In all of these ways, would our lives this morning and tomorrow and the next day just honor you would all of it be out of thankfulness for your love for us in jesus name amen